0: Now we hear a discussion with the audience.
1: Uh, I, I was confused by one thing you said, Ed. Uh, when you talked about redistricting, you said the Democrats and Republicans were equally at fault. It ain't so. I mean, Rock County used to have, uh, we had one senator and three assemblymen. Uh, it has been gerrymandered. Beloit, where we used to live, I think is in three assembly districts. And what the Republicans have done is gerrymander this to the ultimate. I know if you take the votes, total votes for state assembly and state senate, Democrats get around 52, 53% of the vote. And uh, the same goes for our congressional delegation. We get about, Democrats get pretty close to 60%, and we have three congressmen, and the GOP has five, and the five are pretty much an embarrassment to the state. Well, I want his answer saying, how do you justify that?
2: Both parties over the years have engaged in some type of gerrymandering. Now, I agree that the most recent uh, redistricting went far beyond what anybody could imagine in terms of creating safe seats, Um, but it has always been um, uh, the goal of the majority party to remain the majority party. I just had a conversation with a former senator, he said, I can't wait till we get our power back and we get the redistricting because we're going to reverse what happened. I I, I just think that uh, when it comes to partisan politics, and, and I do remember a time, I, when I started in 1984, there was probably six years where things were really uh, great. and. Uh, and I, and I saw somebody in the audience that worked for a Senator Mordecai Lee, and there was never a greater uh, or better uh, selfless politician that ever st- served in the Wisconsin legislature, that, uh, and there were many like him at that time, and, and Republicans and Democrats spoke to each other when I first started. Uh, by the time I left in 2010, those days were gone. The professional politicians had taken over. The partisanship was as ugly as I've ever seen it in any situation. Um, Power is all that matters at the state capitol right now, and it is probably the same nationally. And uh, for me, uh, I'm a public policy wonk, so to speak. Um, I have opinions. They're just opinions. This idea of a convention is an opinion. I'm not going to, it's not a religion to me. I'm not going to die if it doesn't happen. But I need to be a voice for fair and impartial government. And it currently does not exist in Wisconsin. Local governments, school districts are suffering immensely because of what's going on, and it's got to end. And uh, I'm just suggesting one avenue for that to happen.
3: Well, uh, I I was just questioning the fact that, in answering, uh, Ed talked about it's being a matter of people seeking power, and I think we just need to recognize that the power—there's power behind the throne, you might say. It's money in here. It's not just power. It's not just principle.
2: As much money as it is, ignorance apathy, uh, unwillingness to fight for somebody that is worse off than you are, uh, educating yourself on on what the issues are and going out and voting. Uh, I mean, the public gets what it wants. And if it's manipulated, it's manipulated because it's ignorant. And that's a tragedy, but it's the reality. Now, I'm not a big favor of the Supreme Court decision. I think they went I think they spit in the face of constitutional rights when they said that you know, the money was the thing. Uh, government's there to protect the small. And that decision did nothing to protect the small. And so I, I think that real power, the real power in this country has already been given to us. We have the power to control the government if we're Stand up and take positions necessary to do it. And speak out. And somebody said transparency. Absolutely right. Shine the light on the money. You shine the light on the money, and suddenly politicians get a little nervous about it. We used to do it constantly uh, when I was lobbying for the cities. Um, So I, I think that if you look at priorities, you have the right priorities. Education, getting people out to vote, making their vote count, getting more people out to vote. These are the things that are the most important, because the real power in this country is with the people. We just have to realize it and then take it, because it's been given to us. We just have to accept
4: it. I'm Dorothy Wheeler. I was on the county board. So I have a real feel for local government. And I think you know, the local government is the least they're partisan. They can be partisan. I don't want to say that, but they do respond directly to people, and I just, you know, I just hate to give that up. I just hate to say, oh, we don't need all these local governments. And I used to get frustrated because, you know, you have town boards, you have uh, all these little governments around that you have to deal with, and for zoning, for protecting the environment, it just goes, you know, we have all those pieces. But um, I think the local government, that's where you have politicians that really do respond to the people, and the people feel comfortable calling them and that kind of stuff. And the Dane County, and I suppose all the counties, are nothing but an arm of the state government. So the the state government passes the laws, and we do the legwork. So I'm not sure how he would reorganize that. But anyway, I'm also, pardon me, I'm also a part of Citizen United. So I just wondered what you all felt, you both felt about its su- its possible success.
3: Because of the work I've done with cities and counties through my jobs over the years, I. seen people working as you've described yourself working and in fact had to do some of that myself in Dane County when we were working with towns around some issues and um, you know I think that it's inefficient and virtuous sometimes at the same time and that's what I meant that um, government efficiency is not always the only or number one goal so I just wanted to say that was partly what I meant too when I was thinking about some caution about what we were up to there Um, I don't have a sense of what the potential is for overturning Citizens United. Um, I think that there are some causes that are worthy enough you go after them anyway.
0: I can even go back earlier than Ed Hook (laughs) In, in this process. And I worked on the original common cause stuff back in the 70s and then worked in the legislature and a number of other things. And, in fact, even worked on drawing the maps for redistricting in the 1980s. And so I would absolutely agree with Ed that this is a bipartisan thing. I have this argument with my husband all the time, and he says the Republicans are worse, but they're not. <laughs> this latest redistricting was probably the worst. Now, but on the positive side, I do want to say that if there is anything that I think is possible, it is getting changes on the redistricting. And the reason why is when I used to talk about the problems, because I worked in this stuff for, you know, 30 years, I would have to explain to people why redistricting was an issue and why they needed to pay attention. I don't have to do that anymore. When you say there's a problem with redistricting, everybody knows it. And, you know, the the interesting, to me, one of the fascinating things is that in the recent polls, when people say what they're concerned about is the fact that the government doesn't work effectively anymore. That is new. That is a very new thing. So I think we're seeing a building of, con- of consensus and awareness that some of these structural matters really are getting some attention. Now in terms of you know, changing the Constitution, I'm not so sure that that, you know, I wouldn't agree with that. But the redistricting I think has a real chance if there's a lot of energy and effort because there is a change. Now I do want to say one thing about the Citizens United. The problem with money and disclosure is not, uh, is, is not. Um, um, I it, mean, it, 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 the, the Citizens United is not a constitutional amendment. is not going to solve the problem. It's changes in the membership of the U.S. Supreme Court that's going to change the pro- uh, going to change <laughs> the issue, and we probably have a better chance in terms of time of doing that and going back to the strategy that you look for the right you you know you get your change of membership and you look for the right case and you bring it in it takes time but you know we have to remember that constitutional amendments are not very successful and it keeps the issue alive but i think in terms of really understanding it's not the uh, i mean it's not the constitution that's a problem in citizens united it's the us supreme court that's the problem well, you know, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs>
3: lots of opinions, not as many questions. I just wonder what each of you would say about what I kind of consider trivializing pol- public policy over the last ten to fifteen years, and that is the the popularity of people like Colbert, uh, John Stewart, perceptive, witty to the point, uh, sometimes out there before anybody else knows what the issue is, and yet we laugh a lot about it. It creates a kind of, ha ha ha, yeah, that's the way government is. And I wonder if you think that that has helped the
4: apathy grow.
2: One of my favorite cartoons is uh, a television reporter in front of a politician saying, Please sum up in 30 seconds everything you believe, and uh, I, I think that uh, you know. In, in many days past, the uh, the, for instance, presidential elections books were created by the um, in in Washington, and they they had all the speeches of the major candidates. They had the platforms of the party. They had. And, and these things are available online to a great extent now, so we actually have access to more information than we've ever had before. But um, you know, it, it, if we don't laugh at some of our politicians, we're going to do a lot of crying. So um, you know, my brother's a political cartoonist, and he is as, as uh, sarcastic as any person should be, and. Uh, and I laugh at his cartoons all the time. And, and they're about issues that uh, are very serious. But, uh, and, and before we're done today, I want to just say a thing about right to work and something that you had said, but it will go someplace else now. No, she want to
3: You know, um, I'm really not a scholar of this. So, you know, I would just be giving you my impression, but. To me, part of what's happened is the communications and Twitterizing of thought is more of an issue because people are into not deep thought and back and forth thought, but um, sort of spin quick words, labels. Let's react in five minutes rather than take a day to think. Um, and we all get an impression you know, from something like that. And also, people choose the media they watch. And there's all sorts of actually books written about this, about how people now live in neighborhoods of people who think like them. And we're just not rubbing up against people who think differently than us and taking time to work through the creative tensions of difference. Which, And what I'm saying, you know, in the 1970s and 80s, it was better. We sat with legislators that had different opinions and we actually talked about facts and there was a give and take and there was thought going on. i, I That's kind of what I mourn and then I think, oh geez, I'm getting no. old, but no. I do think there's a superficiality and I, I don't know all the reasons for it, I guess is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, and a convention yeah. might solve that, you yeah. <laughs> know? <laughs>
3: I have a question. It seems to me that one of the things that we all have talked about here is that the growing problem that partisanship that is in all parts of uh, government. You both talked about it. And uh, pardon me, and and the part money's paid with it. I guess I would ask you, uh, how would a constitutional amendment in what ways would that change the problem with the fact that the partisanship, the people are not talking to each other and not willing to compromise? How would the constitutional amendment solve that?
2: Well, I can only go back to what, I did, what I've done with Rutgers University over the years. Um, because it, you know when, when the Constitutional Convention idea came up in my organization, Mayor Norquist, as a matter of fact, was the one who brought it up. I said, no, 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 we can't do that.
1: But then it was my
2: job to put together um, uh, something down at uh, Marquette University and do some other things. Um, But I got a hold of Alan Tarr out at Rutgers because they have this uh, Department of State Constitutional Law. And I spent a great deal of time with Alan, and, and I learned some things about Who gets involved in constitutional conventions? Teachers run for representation in a very big way. Um, Students of government, lawyers uh, run uh, for these representation and and nonpartisan folks at the local level. So who gets rejected? Your partisan electoral people because if the public is taking a step towards a constitutional convention, the last thing they want is the same people who screwed it up in, in the, the state legislature to be representing them in the constitutional convention. And historically, and I say this historically, it has happened in every convention in the 20th century. And we have, Illinois did theirs in 69 and 70. That was the, the last Midwestern one uh, to take place. Absolutely, it has all changed. And I believe there are, you know, for one thing, I draft Mordecai Lee right out of the University of Milwaukee. He would be running, and and this is the type of person that needs to be a representative in a constitutional convention where people who are committed to public policy, who are really more concerned about where the state goes, You know, we talked about the economy, and I'm just going to stick this in there real quick. The right-to-work law that just passed will drive down wages further in an already um, situation where we're not competing very well with Minneapolis and Chicago. And what has happened over the last 20 years is our young people are heading to Minneapolis and they're heading to Chicago. And we are becoming an older state. And we would be a really older state if people weren't working until they were 70 years old. We are losing our young people because we cannot compete with wages. And we cannot compete with wages because we cannot draw young people to Wisconsin the way that we should. And that is going to take some real change. Because they aren't really interested in riding in their cars on highways for long distances. They aren't really interested. In, uh, in living in rural areas, they want social life. They want good jobs and uh, they want a, a little bit of a, a life and they can find it. It shows up that there shows up in Madison, but it's, we're struggling in every other part of the state to keep our young people in Wisconsin. That's the goal. and uh, the right to work law is just going to exacerbate an already poor situation.
3: This comment was more germane a little bit ago, but one of the things that concerns me when we talk about more and more people with low incomes is the fact that many of these people are working two jobs. They don't follow politics and they don't have time to vote. They don't take time to vote, perhaps. They maybe could have time off, but I see that quite a bit and it worries me.
5: Ed, uh, if
6: there should be a constitutional convention called, of the things that you put on your list here, the one that I would have no real idea of what side I would like to take would be about the unicameral legislature. It seems to me that with our two-party system, we're already at the extreme low end. There are people that would like to see us have a third party. We know that in some countries there are 10 or 15 or more parties. Uh, I'd like you each to comment on how that would be a good
1: idea, how would that work?
2: Well, looking at the current situation, so you have a majority party in one house, in this case they're the same party in both houses, Um, and they choose their leadership. In a unicameral legislature where there's no declared party, they will choose their leadership differently than they currently do. Um, There will have to be compromises made. The committees will be made up not of uh, mostly a majority party and then a few minority party folks to, to uh, object to what's going on in the committees. They will actually have to create some kind of a uh, some type of coalitions within the unicameral uh, legislature to get things done. Now, I happen to be a former member of the Republican Party. I ran for office as a Republican 30 years ago. Uh, my republicanism doesn't exist anymore. You know, now I belong to an unorganized political party called the Democrats. Uh, but I can tell you that if, if it would work more like parliament than it would work in the, like the two-party system where compromises are made between groups that may come together and organize. And it might be a delegation from uh, Milwaukee. It might be a delegation uh, from Kenosha that merged together on a particular issue regardless of their party. And and if if they represented districts that that reflected county government as an example, they would be more in tune with what the needs were of that particular county. And so by combining those two changes, I believe we could move the legislative body to a more of a middle from where it currently is and force them to do that. And that's why I think it could work. One state is, there's only one state that has it. Um, And uh, so I don't know, you know, I haven't studied it, I haven't gone there. Um, But I really am uh, in fear of when a small group of people, and I'm talking eight to 10, because they're the leadership of a majority party, are making all the decisions. They're making all the decisions.
3: Um. When Kathy called me, I was visiting my brother in Texas. I said, you need to get somebody who's a student of this who can help examine what do we know about how it might or might not work because I'm not sure. Um, But what I know from my growing up years about civics is part of the reason I have two bodies is to not have things railroaded through too fast, right? It always was thought that the two houses of the legislature would offer a more deliberative, thoughtful process, less prone to make mistakes by moving things too fast. And I would say that I have not seen our two houses of the Wisconsin legislature moving too slow on some things lately. So I I am not so sure about this unicameral idea, and I'm, I'm interested that the U.S. Constitution and 49 of 50 states have stuck with two. I mean, that just makes it a a less common initiative idea uh, to me. But then, again, as I said, I'm intrigued by some of these ideas. I felt like it was a a sort of, as I said, apples and oranges, fruit salad. Some ideas have been talked about a lot, like get rid of the Secretary of State and State Treasurer and so on, or other things. And some were just have not been talked about. And I think our state would need a lot more time to really be thoughtful and wise about that.
5: Uh, Crawford Young. Uh, I wonder how you can feel really confident that a Constitutional Convention would be composed of the kind of civic-minded people that you've described. Uh, that, uh, in uh, a number of occasions, once assembled, the Constitutional Convention becomes, in effect, the sovereign body. Remember 1787, which went for good reasons, far beyond the original purpose for which it was summoned. And we now have out there the American Legislative Exchange Council that would be already uh, with a prefabricated uh, scheme to constitutionalize uh, their whole uh, package of measures. Uh, The social issues people would be there with their whole roster of things to put in stuff in a constitution. Uh, and uh, I could go on, Grover Norquist and his program, uh, and uh, it's just not apparent to me how one can be co- uh, wholly confident that you would get the kind of disinter- disinterested uh, body solely concerned with uh, good government, as I think the group in this room understands that uh, concept.
2: Well, it, but the truth is, I, I can't, and uh, and and I won't. Suppose that I can, but here's the issue. When a particular side wants to control the convention the way they see the convention should be controlled, um, and preconditions are set prior to uh, the discussion, then um, stalemate is automatically created. I believe in the general call um, because it's a creative process and, and nothing that I have put forth in my paper may never ne- occur, and that's okay with me. That's all right with me. But we are creatures of creation. We can be creative, and we can come to the call of a greater good when that occurs. And uh, I believe the calling or the pushing for a convention, open convention, and, and with the advocacy of nonpartisan or educators or whomever um, as the representatives of change is something that would have greater appeal to the general public than a partisan position. I, I only put in the changes that I see as possible as an example of what could be. But the reality of it is when you have people This is your possibilities. It is infinite. And that's what I believe in. I believe in people, I believe in infinite possibilities, and I believe in creativity. And that's what I believe in.
3: I guess that I also believe, um, like Lincoln, that we've got some better angels and then some not so good angels, and the question is how do we get the better angels? But I do have to wonder, if we don't like the people that we've elected to represent us (laughs) in Group A, how will it solve the problem to get another group of people to represent? You know what I'm saying? I think that if we can't engage people, which was my big pitch to you about your mission being so important as the league, if we can't really connect with the people of the state about what we think is mattering to the common good through our government and other means of sharing life in community, it isn't gonna matter, right? So it comes back to what are people, being really curious about what interests people, what are the ways to connect with them, and how can we build up those better angels of our nature. And I'm just thinking in the current environment, we gotta up our game, we gotta be thinking a lot about what works in the environment where we live today.
2: You know, people are uh, cynical of uh, politicians who advocate for something because they are automatically, where's the angle? You know, I used to go in the lobby and legislative offices and immediately, what's the angle? Who's this for? You know, it was that type of question. One of the reasons I'm doing this now that I'm retired is because I have nothing to gain by this. I I got absolutely nothing to gain. And, and therefore, I have more power right now, sitting here with nothing to gain, than I ever had as a lobbyist for cities across the state of Wisconsin, because what I say comes from here. You all know that. You know I've got no angle, I got nothing to win by this, and that's why I believe that a group like the League of Women Voters have a powerful voice, because you folks don't have an angle other than. The common good of the people of the state, and uh, that makes you a powerful advocate for change.
3: I have a question for you, and I think I probably go back even beyond. I go back to the you know the longer uh, dealing with the legislature. It goes back that I go back so far. I remember when there were more capital reporters at the Congress bar than there were lobbyists at the park. You know, in the Park Bar. Uh, which leads to my question about the demise of the press, Oh. and what effect that is having, and how we now get our thirty-second bites, and how do you inform people of the issues when all they're getting is a thirty-second bite?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a, a, a very difficult one. As as I uh, you know, when when I was we didn't contribute to campaigns, by the way. As a lobbyist, we didn't, we didn't do that. That was the only reason I could get into Senator Lee's office because if I did, he wouldn't let me in. Um, so I would go to the press for a lot of things. And, and there were many times when, uh, I remember when uh, the joint finance, we were doing recycling law, and uh, the business was uh, paying uh big bucks for access to the legislature and the Joint Committee on Finance, under a, uh, a couple, one senator especially, uh, was listening to their business pretty closely and and um, we laid out our arguments to the, the Milwaukee Journal and they wrote a very interesting article uh, because it was in the backyard of this particular senator and uh, lo and behold, um, Votes were reversed, and finance because the media was there, on the spot watching what was going on. The absence of investigative reporting, good investigative reporting, is uh, is frightening to me. It is absolutely frightening.
3: Do we have one or two more questions? Okay, you haven't had a turn,
7: <laughs> so I'm. Uh, one of the younger members <laughs> and I have not been involved in government so I'm hearing all of this from a, a, a different perspective and what I what comes to my mind in all this is that you're kind of saying it's so broken that it's beyond incremental fixes that we really need to throw the baby out start fresh because there's all these different things going on and what comes to my mind about that is this other issue that we haven't even talked about, which is the whole global warming thing, which is you can dither and you can do this and do this and little incremental things, but at some point, we're going to be screwed and we're going to be underwater and it's going to be too late for the little tiny incremental changes. So a couple of other ideas that have come up in all of these other discussions is, well, we're, we're destroying the educational system. So we're turning out high school and college graduates who can't tell you who won the Civil War, don't even know we fought a Civil War, don't know who we got our independence from, so you can forget them really caring about what's going on in their county government. Um, We have uh, the press that's been taken over by big money. We have all the elections taken over by big money. We have Supreme Courts taken, you know, elected and appointed by big money. So at some point, are we not just totally beyond the point of being able to fix it incrementally? Because, you know, you you can't convince people to care if they are only caring about survivor. You can't convince
2: people to care if they don't even understand it. Well, I'd like to say that uh, broken on repair is a choice that we'll have to make. I mean, whether it is or it isn't is a a matter of opinion. But I believe there are are enough constitutional questions that um, people raise. I I had four governors sitting in front of me down in Milwaukee when we took this question to Marquette Law. And each one of them had two or three constitutional changes they'd like to see, but they said we shouldn't have a convention. And I, I believe that there are enough of those structural problems that um, we need to address them in a more comprehensive manner. I think redistricting um, and uh, the Supreme Court and some of those questions need to be laid in there together with some other things as well in order to make
3: I guess I think a little bit of a historical perspective would lead us to conclude that we have a messy democracy that is still partly working and it's the old Winston Churchill thing it's the worst possible government except for all the others. Um, Fran and some of us have worked together and it isn't that long ago that we were doing better public policy that was helping improve the lives of tens of thousands of people with disabilities and people who are elderly through a strong participatory process with advocates and families and individuals needing service, counties, state program experts, and a whole number of people working together and a bipartisan legislative approval of things that we proposed. We have 30 years of that kind of policy making in long-term care, really, since COP, right? And uh, started with Governor Lee Dreyfus, and it went all the way through. I just wrote a letter to the legislature sort of saying, you know, with all due respect, the legislature does have a role to kind of represent the people and to think about the fact that for all these years, we've worked together. And I don't actually think it is hopeless. I just have to say, sometimes it seems harder than other times, and this is one of those times for me now. Um, And I do think there's some things that just get on my nerves big time, like the gerrymandering thing is worse than before, whoever said that, you know? We've had bad things before, but this is the worst. So I think there are things to be fixed, but please do not give up hope because, again, Bill Moyer, cynicism is a self-fulfilling prophecy about government. We can't go there. Not you. (laughs) Jump (laughs) in before they start again. I'm terrified at the thought of a constitutional convention. The very things you're describing and decrying, that money is buying everything, they could tear apart so much that we have. I much prefer an incremental approach and I think it would be very frightening to think of what would happen. And I know you didn't approve of a national federal
2: convention. Yeah, not a national one, but but I I should tell you that uh... You know, I look at what's happened the last uh, four years and I'm wondering, what's the difference? What we we have seen under Governor Walker, and I don't, you know, if you're a Republican, you're gonna hear it anyway. What we've seen under Governor Walker is the taxpayer's bill of rights in function. What did he do? He came in with a deficit, he cut government, then he cut taxes so that he would create another deficit so that he could cut government again. And I can guarantee you they will be cutting taxes again after they've balanced this budget so they can cut government the next time because that's how it's working. So my question is, it's happening already. How long are you going to wait?
6: Yeah, one of the things that um, I was reflecting on here Ed and I met years ago when we were working on an anti-apartheid committee, and one of the things that I felt during those years was there just was no no way to believe that apartheid was ever going to go down, you know? Uh, but amazingly enough, there were external factors that affected um, the shift in uh, southern Africa, and there were free and fair elections. And yesterday I read online a perspective of a man in the tech industry who has significant resources and influence globally on um, renewable energy. And he is saying that by 2030, uh, wind and solar are going to be taking over and we're going to be forgetting about the fight over oil and natural gas and fracking, et cetera. And I, I think about the shifts that occur where we least expected and least anticipated. I think maybe that we might be at a point where uh, the demographics of our nation are changing so much. Um, California is one of the more liberal states; it's also one of the more ethnically diverse states, and those things are going to gradually spread um, from the uh, east and west coasts, you know, into um, the hinterland uh, here in the flyover zone, and. I do think that in spite of um, the continual destructive actions being taken legislatively, there are undoubtedly forces that are shifting um, while we are sleeping and not even aware of it. Because if we look at the shift in gay marriage and other things that we have not anticipated, um, I say go for it. You know, if we are going to fight for a Constitutional Convention or anything else, let's just do it.
3: Any final words from you?
2: Well, you know, if, if, if South Africa can overthrow a government without firing a shot, who says the human voice and the human spirit can't overcome our difficulties?
3: I think the League here should work with the League around the state because it's not Dane County that voted this problem that we currently have. And unless we also reach out to people who don't think like us and learn and work in respectful relationships with them, we aren't going to have much of an impact. So I I think the League has some power in having groups around the state. And I agree with Ed that uh, those of us who are, you can either say we're free, and therefore you're getting what you pay for in this speech, or you could say you're just hearing our version of truth, and that's what we got to keep talking, those of us who believe that we're talking for what we believe to be the public good. So I hope the League carries on with that. Thank you.
2: Yep. Thank and you. Thank you.